0: Welcome to Dividing Lines, a series of special programs from the near-futurist, where we'll be bringing together respected innovators and thinkers to examine some of the most consequential debates in technology and society today. Dividing Lines is powered by Diffusion, an award-winning international PR agency on a mission to help tech innovators to take on the status quo and transform the future faster. My name is Guy Clapperton. While we've cut a few topics on the changing world in recent editions, different means of providing food for a growing population, different means of travel for a planet that can do without the carbon impact but whose people still need to get around, one possible conclusion is that planet Earth as it stands just isn't suitable anymore. Unfortunately, I've checked all the online retailers and we can't just go and order another one. What we might be able to do is a bit of geoengineering, remaking areas of the world in an image that's more sustainable for us. to discuss this i'm pleased to welcome two guests the first is a visiting associate professor at columbia business school climate economist academic and author he holds an ab and a phd in political economy and government from harvard university as well as an m.a in economics from stanford university his book geoengineering the gamble came out in november and his name is gernot The second is Assistant Professor of Environment and Sustainability at the University at Buffalo in Buffalo, New York. Her book, After Geoengineering, Climate Tragedy, Repair and Restoration, explores best and worst case scenarios for climate intervention. And her name is Professor Holly Jean Buck. Welcome to you both.
1: Thanks, good to be here. Great to join
0: you. Excellent. Well, perhaps I could start with uh, Gernot. I kept the introduction vague deliberately. It's almost as if I didn't really know what this was uh, all about because I'm not a professor and it's not in-depth in my brain. But could you give us an idea of exactly what we mean by geoengineering, please?
1: So it depends who you talk to. <laughs> so geoengineering overall often means two very different things. One sometimes comes under the heading carbon geoengineering, um, air capture... CO2 removal, uh, lots of different names for this. It is essentially an attempt to take CO2 out of the atmosphere at a large scale. And planting trees might be sometimes considered to be part of this. Uh, that's not really what most people mean. It's you know building massive machines to capture CO2 from thin air. The second solar geoengineering solar radiation management albedo modification again lots of different terms for this broad topic is about finding ways to cool the planet at a large scale at a global scale typically through other means for example making the planet brighter reflecting more sunlight back into space and cooling what's underneath as a result. And both of these terms often often erroneously are subsumed under this one term, one heading
0: of geoengineering. Okay, so perhaps we're talking about reforming the planet according to our needs and uh, to make it more sustainable. That's in the broadest and crudest possible terms. Uh, I'm not suggesting there should be a black and white all geoengineering is good good or bad view from anyone, but what are the positives in your view? I mean, a lot of the idea of cooling the the Earth down and reversing global warming, that sounds uh, completely positive to me, but uh, do talk me through a few issues.
1: Okay, so, you know, starting with the positives, right? Taking CO2 out of the atmosphere, sticking with carbon removal now here, presumably is a good thing right? So there's too much CO2 in the atmosphere right now. Taking it out doesn't quite address the underlying root cause, right? That is adding too much CO2, too much in terms of emissions. But it would get pretty darn close to addressing the actual problem. Too much CO2 in the atmosphere. The positive on the solar geoengineering front, and just to be clear, lots and lots of risks, lots of uncertainties, lots of problems, but just sticking with the positive, it would, could, might address the main impact, one of the main impacts of climate change, of global warming, temperatures being too high, decreasing those global average temperatures. And just to be clear, that's a very limited view of what solar geoengineering would do overall. It's a very limited view of what is necessary to address climate change. But again, just sticking to the positives of solar geoengineering, yes, it could, would, might address this important impact
0: of climate change. Yeah, I appreciate we've got to take a broad brush approach here. We've only got a short show. And even if we had a whole hour, I think we'd still only be able to scratch the surface. Thanks for highlighting that. It's important. Uh, Holly, the title of your book contains the word tragedy, obviously, and that's uh, a negative. I'm just wondering if you could tell me what your perceptions are, or you know, is it as nuanced as, uh, uh, as Gernot's? Gernot's coming from economics and coming
2: from social science, but, you know, we share some some nuance <laughs> because we're data-driven. You know, I use the word tragedy because we have to recognize that what's happened, what's continuing to happen, what will happen with climate change is a tragedy. It's something that arguably is preventable that we're not acting on. Um, and so I use tragedy in, in sort of the literary sense of uh, a protagonist, which maybe us with a, a tragic flaw. And you can point to specific actors within this system, like fossil fuel companies, which activists are right to. You can point to governments that have stalled. But, I mean, in general, the, the whole thing is kind of a tragedy.
0: Okay. I, well, what are the issues driving that tragedy? Is it consumerism? Is it, uh, is it corporate greed? Um, I, is it, once again, more nuanced than that?
2: I think both of those play a part. I think that you can trace it back to colonialism and conquest of other cultures and the land use change that ensued. I mean, land use change is a big driver too, not just fossil fuels, but fossil fuels kind of as an entrenched system is a big part of this. So in terms of how we got here and then in terms of why we're stuck here, weak governance, people that don't understand the contours of the issue that are voting against their own interests. It's a very complicated situation. And so it can be tempting to reach for something that seems simpler, like geoengineering, to address the situation, given the complexity of all the drivers.
0: Uh, You sound reluctant to resort to geoengineering. Am I reading too much into your tone?
2: Well, I think most of us are. But if you look at where we're at it's not good we know that we need increasing fossil fuel production rapidly and there are no plans to do that from governments or companies so what do we do
0: that's a fair point uh, although I do wonder how far we can take it and how far back we have to go. I'm in the UK, for example. We have a lot of farmland. There's this view of the countryside ideal that people have with fields looking almost like patchworks. But of course, if you go back far enough, if you, many generations, that's engineered and artificial. There was no uh, neat crisscross of uh, wheat fields and arable land and things like that. Where do you think we have to draw the line? What would what we have to get back to to be sustainable?
2: I don't look at it in terms of going back, I mean I look at it in terms of going forward. And so I actually believe we have to use a lot of the technologies that are at our disposal in order to move forward. But the question isn't whether to use them, in my view, it's how we use them. And are we going to reproduce a lot of the inequalities that we have with these new technologies? Are we going to arrange them totally differently?
0: do you want to sound as confident as my interviewee in this episode if you talk to the press or other media are you worried you'll be misquoted or they'll just publish their story and not yours clapperton media associates can help with coaching drop me a note guy at clapperton.co.uk and we'll arrange a time for an exploratory call now back to the podcast Gernot, what's your perspective on that? Is it a matter of deploying existing technologies or should we actually be, as some people advocate, trying to turn the clock back in some way?
1: Uh, so I would certainly see all of this as very much a look toward the future. I'm in violent agreement with Holly on, on, on basically everything she just said, right? So you pointedly asked me to say, the positives of geoengineering, solar geoengineering, there are lots and lots of risks. There are certainly lots of costs that go, there's sort of a very limited view of of risks in the sense the stuff we can quantify today already. Uh, That said, yes, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. In many ways, and uh, you know, I would add the word sadly to that. I would certainly, you know, subscribe to the, the this, all of this being a, a tragedy of sorts. In that we are at a stage where, frankly, we are talking about this topic, right? Just the, the fact that we're having this conversation, right, It not good. That it's necessary. That I think it's necessary to have this sort of conversation um, right now. And frankly, that in many ways, it's already. Uh, too late, even, to have the sort of conversation we are seeing ourselves having, which is all about, should we be doing the research? And of course we should. Of course we need to. We should get on with it. We should do much, much more of it. But, and that's of course a big but, no solar geoengineering in particular, is certainly no replacement for a, frankly, Doing the sort of thing that we all know is necessary, right? Deploying, for example, rapidly deploying existing technologies—wind and solar, photovoltaic, and so on—the sort of you know the sort the sort of technologies that we know exist. They we know they solve the problem. We know that they work. They work as advertised. And yes, uh, costs have come down dramatically. We should be doing much, much more. Of that it's not about, right, waiting around for an, the next great invention to bail us out. It's basically, you know, coming down to the, the broad economics of things, of moving rapidly, much more rapidly than we currently are, in the right direction here. Yeah? And, you know, putting this all uh, together, right, it's this amazing dance, if you will, between, you know, on the one hand, we know enough to act. We should be doing much more of it. On the other, yeah, we should be doing the research into the sort of technologies that don't currently exist that might, might make an even bigger difference
0: in the positive direction um, in the future. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, there there are people who are talking about going back to nature and who talk about uh, rewilding, etc. There is a lot in that. I'm not suggesting otherwise. And if you want to preserve various species, you've got to do it. I I fully uh, take that account. But I do think that if we were to uh, leave the world, get the world back to a completely natural state, it would result in mass starvation. It wasn't designed to preserve this, uh, the, 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 the large amounts of people there are, or indeed the, the clusters of them, and getting food to them uh, efficiently. I, I'm just wondering whether uh, you, you would agree with that, or uh, whether you, I'm barking completely out of the wrong tree there. Oh,
1: uh, no, not at all. I, I, I certainly agree. Right? Okay, so this is not a question, right? Should we be planting more trees? When, yes, of course, we should. Now, what is the, you know, in this case now, U.S. Republican Party's former uh, proposal of essentially uh, planting a trillion trees globally and in some sense not doing much of anything else? Is that sufficient? No, of course not. But, yeah, you know, are more trees good? Sure, of course they are. Absolutely. Now, okay, the broader, more philosophical question is getting back to nature – really an answer here, right? Is that the answer? Well, I would actually, and of course I'm biased here, right, sitting in the middle of lower Manhattan, New York City, here, right? Um, no, I would actually in many ways say, if anything, uh, cities are the answer to, are more of the answer, right? Not all of us suddenly squeezing into Manhattan, no. Um, but Yeah, the efficiency, the sort of the positive externalities, to use the economic term here, of cities to counteract the negative externalities of climate change. Uh, Yeah, um, I would say the efficiency of urban living and so on and so forth uh, has a lot of potential here to address climate change and in many ways much, much more so than sort of this romantic notion of wouldn't it be nice if we all went back to the land and lived off the land individually? Um now that said, of course, as usual, right, the the real answer is much more nuanced, it's all of the above, and much like with the geoengineering question, it's not just about existing technologies. It's not also only just about
0: new technologies that don't currently exist it's it's a much much more nuanced view of course of course um holly can i ask your view on that and perhaps there are other methods other than let's say geoengineering that um uh, might work instead or in addition to it what are the sustainable alternatives to actually making the world work do you think that's a big question isn't it
2: (laughs) well i mean i think that What we should be focusing on is phasing out fossil fuels, which I talk about in my book called Ending Fossil Fuels. And so that means a lot of things. It means deploying all the renewables we've talked about, figuring out how to make a green hydrogen industry work, decarbonizing all these different sectors from agriculture, so Figuring out other fertile, sustainable fertilizer. Um, thinking about decarbonizing industry with electrification and green hydrogen and carbon capture. Thinking about you know sustainable aviation fuels. So there's a bunch of stuff that's kind of on the drawing board. But it's not just about ramping up this new stuff. It's about getting rid of this old stuff, and that's where it's really challenging because fossil fuel companies have a lot of entrenched power and more than half of fossil fuels are produced by national oil companies so they're really you know enmeshed with governments in ways that make it really hard to think about how to dismantle or transform this industry but I think that would be kind of the first place to focus.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense. And of course, then you're also talking not only about uh, geoengineering, but in many ways, social engineering, because there are whole communities dependent on, say, mining, which has got to come to an end or will come to a natural end because the places will be mined out. But uh, they, um, uh, the, the people who are there are, don't, aren't necessarily going to thank you warmly for suggesting that their livelihood should stop
2: that's clear but i mean on the other hand we have the the money in in most places in the countries that you and i are sitting in to you know provide decent empl- uh, employment options for for those people so it's really a question of confronting the political
0: interests I think. I think it's that and it's also a matter of confronting perhaps good old-fashioned inertia. We do things in a certain way things seem to work more or less there's some generations away problem which is getting closer and closer of course time will do that to you but there are an awful lot of people out there who think they're doing well enough already and they don't want to worry about this stuff. Um, I'm just wondering uh, you know, uh, whether um, you know th- there are Regions in the, uh, on the on the earth that can't support life necessarily, but could be made to if forced. I, I was watching a programme last night about Dubai and the stuff they've done there is just incredible in terms of engineering, putting massive machines in place and exploiting an awful lot of sunshine that's out there, but which would have been completely hostile. And of course, you're both in the US, um, famously Las, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, did I say? Las Vegas, the other one that begins with an L kind of works in the middle of the Mojave Desert. I'm just wondering if more of that might be positive and, uh, you know, if we were to build solar engineering into that, perhaps.
2: Well, Las Vegas is an interesting example because it looks like it works if we're looking at this time scale, but actually they're going to have a really hard time with water in the pretty near future. And they've actually made a huge amount of progress in reducing water consumption because they had very intense water managers <laughs> so on one hand it looks like they've managed to adapt to their conditions on the other hand climate change is just going to really hit their their water source so i mean it's a question i, I expect that there maybe have to be places that will are booming now but will have to be abandoned
0: i think that could well make sense uh not any uh, final thoughts on that
1: I would certainly add to the violent agreement once again, um, as usual. And, you know, in many ways, is there a lot of potential here? You know, you mentioned Dubai, Middle East, right? One of the sunniest places on Earth, right? One of the places where solar power would, in fact, make the most sense. While, of course, the current economy is, uh, you know, almost fully dependent on fossil fuel extraction. Right, so maybe it's just to tie into something Holly mentioned. Right, her, by the way, her fantastic book, Ending Fossil Fuels, right, is exactly this. Right, like you know, it's it's often hard, or you know, economists ha- often have this phrase that it's hard to pick winners. Right. Well, it's quite easy actually to pick the losers. Right. <laughs> you know, the ultimate loser in many ways is CO two, of course. But then when you add this institutional analysis, when you take it one step further, right, of course the real loser here is fossil fuels. Right. So yes, we must end fossil fuel extraction, burning of fossil fuels, right? That is in many ways the answer, right? Not again, right? Not the answer overall, right? There's lots of other things that need to happen to adapting to climate change that's already in store, and so on and so forth. That said, right, you know, is that a big, big part, uh something we must push much much harder for it than frankly we currently are yes absolutely
0: okay um obviously we just had time to scratch the surface of this massive massive debate but i found it really interesting and i hope it stimulates a lot of conversations out there um so finally if i could ask you both where people can find out more about yourselves and your work um holly <laughs>
2: I I guess you could Google. No, I mean, um, I have a website at geo.design, and I have Twitter, um, and my books are Ending Fossil Fuels and After Geoengineering.
0: Yeah, Actually, I like your first answer. anyone wants to know anything about my show, just go and Google it. We can't be bothered. Uh, Gernot, perhaps perhaps you could be equally helpful.
1: Well, my name is unique enough that, yes, I think that might be the answer to Google it. uh, So actually, well, um, Geoengineering the Gamble is my latest book on, on this topic. Climate Shock, most prominently perhaps, the, I think the third book in this series out of five. And gwagner.com is where basically everything I've ever done, I believe, uh, professionally
0: is, is collected. Okay, uh, Professors Gernard Wagner and uh, Holly Jean Buck, thank you very much indeed. And thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futures podcast with me, Guy Clapperton, and my guest in the latest in the series of Dividing Lines, sponsored by Diffusion PR. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk or my media training site at remotemediatraining.com. I'll be back very soon.